Welcome to T. Rowe Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Francisco Negron, and I'm grateful to be your host. For the past 35 years, I have been privileged to work with organizations to help their employees prepare for retirement. My colleagues joining me today are financial professionals who also help people on their retirement journey, whether they are planning for retirement or are already there. Money is more than just a tool for transactions. It carries deep psychological and emotional significance. In today's episode, we will examine the psychology of money, uncovering the emotions, beliefs, and behaviors that shape our relationship with wealth and gain insights on how to cultivate a healthy mindset towards money. We will explore the fascinating field of behavioral finance and delve into the various psychological factors that influence our financial decisions, including saving for retirement. Join us as we discuss strategies for making more mindful and empowered financial choices. With me today to discuss the psychology of money are certified financial planner professionals Stuart Ritter and Matt Spratt. Welcome to the show, Stuart and Matt. I look forward to it. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, let's kick things off. Let's explore the concept of the money mindset. How do our beliefs and attitudes towards money shape our investing behavior and our spending and saving decisions, including retirement? So, Stuart, what are your thoughts on that? Well, your question focuses actually on two areas. The one you stated, spending and saving decisions, including retirement, which is really a prioritizing exercise. And the second component, which we'll also talk about, is investing behavior. What do I do with the money that I've saved for something I want to buy in the future? So first, it's the prioritizing. How do I decide between buying two things today or between things I'm considering buying today and buying in the future? And some people focus more on spending and some people focus more on saving and all of that is affected by our beliefs and attitudes towards money. And one of the ways you can think about that effect is the same way an optical illusion affects how we see something. What we see is real to us, even if we know it's an optical illusion. So the one I always think of is you've got those two lines that are the same length, but one of them has arrowheads at the end and the other one has, I'll call them fins at the end. So the one with the arrowheads looks shorter well, even if you know it's an optical illusion, even if you know the lines are the same length, you still see the one with the arrowheads as shorter. And that affects us when we think about money. The classic example is you're looking at a price tag and there's a number written on it crossed out and a lower number written below it. And you know someone is trying to make you think that you're getting a bargain because you're not paying that higher number, you're paying the lower number. And even if we know that, we still are affected by it. We still feel like we might be getting a bargain because it's a lower number. So those kinds of things, the beliefs and attitudes and how the environment affects us, those are having an influence on our money decisions. Yeah, I always fall for that. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me give you another example. And this is one that I heard Dan Gilbert, who's a psychologist at Harvard, tell when he was talking about how we're influenced by things. He said, let's say you call up and you're buying a cruise. And the person says, the cruise costs $5,000. And then they say, oh, I wish you had called yesterday. Yesterday, we were running a special on this. It was only $4,000, but the special is over. You're paying $5,000 for the cruise. 
How would that make you feel? Now, let me give you the second scenario. You call up for the cruise and the person says the cruise costs $5,000. And it's a great thing you called today because yesterday this cruise cost $6,000. But today it's on special. You're only paying $5,000. How do you feel about paying that now? Now, notice in both scenarios, you're paying exactly the same dollar amount, $5,000 for the cruise. But what you compare it to is having an influence on your emotions and might affect whether or not you're willing to pay for it. When they say it was $4,000 yesterday and now you have to pay five, you might say, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to go. But if they say it was 6000 and now you're only paying five, you might have an even better time. So recognize that we have emotional responses to money decisions, and they influence how we feel and the actions we take. Sir, I really love those examples. Money really is an emotional thing for all of us, and it's because it's attached to everything that we do. I also think about the old adage that money can't buy happiness, and that's absolutely true. In and of itself, money doesn't have happiness attached to it. It's what we do with the money that truly brings us the happiness. Uh, but much to your point, Stuart, many illusions are created by, you know, the lack of personal finance knowledge out there, you know, the complexity of our day-to-day -day finances, and a variety of other psychological attachments to money that we all have. So, for example, many of us have these goals like retirement, uh, paying for education for our children or our grandchildren, or moving, traveling. But when faced with a decision today to you know, buy that extra cup of coffee or maybe upgrade our cell phones, we often don't think about that in the context of our longer-term goals. So the reality is that no dollar is created different. But still the question remains, how do we debunk these psychological illusions? And that's where understanding the emotional state that you're in, like you said, Stuart, um, when it comes to money is important, but also tracking the data and financial planning can help you to see the illusions and make better decisions in real time. Uh, a good example that I like to, to talk to people about is um, over the course of my career, I have had the privilege of hiring at T. Rowe Price and bringing people on to onboarding. And one of the discussions I often have with them is about um, making sure that they're taking advantage of the benefits that they have access to, like the retirement plans. Oftentimes, what I hear from associates as they're onboarding is, I want to see what my first paycheck is, and then I'll make the decision about how to save for retirement. But that decision, much to what Stuart was saying, is based off of, all right, well, I get this, this big pile of money at the end of the month. It's a lot harder emotionally to make the decision to cut that back because now your expectation is this big pile of money that you get, and then any decision that you make about your retirement reduces that pile of money versus looking at your retirement as a requirement. It's not optional, much like your mortgage or your cell phone bill. These aren't optional things that you have to pay for. Your retirement isn't optional either. So making the choice to save an appropriate amount before you see that first paycheck makes it a lot easier for you to say, okay, I got my paycheck. And if you can't make your bills work, you know that you have a lever to pull of reducing your retirement savings if you have to in order to be able to meet your bills. So that's just another example of, of real life where our decisions today can affect our long-term ability to make purchases in those psychological illusions. No, that's a good example. And for me, some of that is influenced by your background. So how do our early experiences with money impact our financial attitudes as adults? You know, behaviors such as saving, spending, and investing. 
Well, was money a source of stress in your household? So you avoid discussions of it to avoid stress. Was it never talked about? So you think it's taboo. So I won't read any books about it or learn about it. Did you feel like there was always a lack of money? So now that you have some, you spend it all or you don't spend any of it? What did you hear or experience when you were a kid? And how does that manifest itself in your behaviors today, even unconsciously? Let me share a story of something that's got nothing to do with money, but uh, really illustrated to me how things that happen early on affect the decisions that we make and the patterns we end up in. I've got three kids and we were going somewhere one day and everybody got in the car. And one of my kids said, Dad, why do we always sit in the same seats? And these seats in particular, why are we always sitting in the same place? So just to illustrate it, I was obviously in the driver's seat. My oldest daughter was uh, next to me in the front seat. Uh, Her brother was sitting behind her and our youngest daughter was sitting behind me. And it actually took us a while to figure out why everybody sat in those particular seats. And the reason was the youngest child was in the car seat and the carrier the whole time. And I always found it easier to get her into the seat if she was on the same side of the car as me. That's what I did. So she was always sitting behind me and the other kids kind of knew that was her spot. And then my oldest daughter was the one who got to the age where she could sit up front first, obviously. So she sat in the passenger seat. And then my son, who's the middle child, would sit in the last remaining seat behind her. Now, at this point, everybody's over the age of 13. Anybody can sit wherever they want, but we were all still in the same pattern. That made a lot of sense when they were littler, but now wasn't a reason for people to sit where they were. And we do that with money a lot. We're doing something. We're in a pattern. We're making a decision. We're feeling something because of something that happened many, many years ago. And unless we stop and think about, well, why am I buying this? Or why am I feeling anxiety about buying this? Or why am I choosing not to buy this? Unless we pause and think about the why and maybe discover the fact that it was something that happened many, many years ago that doesn't apply anymore, we stay in a pattern that doesn't make sense for what we need to be doing today. And that's how that upbringing and early experiences can affect the decisions we're making today. You're so right, Stuart. Our upbringing affects so many aspects of our lives, and our relationships with money is no different. Suppose your parents, family, childhood mentors were knowledgeable about things like football and physics. It's likely that you're going to be more knowledgeable about football or physics just because of your relative proximity to the the knowledge source or a person who has the knowledge. The difficult part with money is two parts. One, we don't like talking about money Um, in our culture. It's almost taboo. But also, very few people, even those who are good with money, feel confident about their knowledge of money. And so they don't talk about it because they don't feel qualified to teach their children or others around them about it. This knowledge gap, combined with some of the things that, you know, Stuart said, you know, was money a source of stress for you or your household, can be a recipe for real financial struggle. Um, and making mistakes when you don't understand both the psychology and the technicals of how the money is spent and used. It really resonates listening to especially that point because, I mean, that's for me my background. I can relate. For me, money equals stress. 
And, and um, you know, a lot of these concepts I had to learn, sadly, when I entered the workforce. So um, so it's really interesting. And in, in, in my upbringing, I sat in the front seat, Stuart, because I was the oldest uh-huh. and that was my God-given right. But but I digress. So let's continue on this on this thread. What role then do emotions play in financial decision making? And what are some common psychological biases that influence or impact an individual's ability to save for retirement? So Stuart, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on that? As I said, uh, saving and spending and saving for retirement is really prioritizing. And as Matt said, where do we make that prioritizing decision for retirement? Uh, Do you spend your money in a way that reflects what your priorities are? And it's important to spend some time actually thinking about what your priorities are and then applying that to the money decisions you're making. And one of the things that people will find very often is those two don't align, that what they say their priorities are isn't connecting with how their behavior is actually happening. So let me give you a suggestion to see if you've got some gaps or if you are aligned. And that is to track your spending in three categories for a month. So I'm not saying track every penny on everything and do it forever. Just for one month, pick three things. Track how much you're spending on entertainment or how much you spend on eating out or how much you're saving for retirement. And then at the end of the month, see if your actual behavior is lining up with what you said your priorities are. And then try to figure out why or why not, because that will help you figure out what biases might be influencing you and give you the opportunity to have some insight to make a decision. Now, when it comes to saving for retirement, and listen very carefully to this, 15%, 15%, 15%. Yes, I'm trying to anchor you. The percent of your salary, your gross salary, that you save for retirement should be 15%. Now, that can include an employer match. So if your employer is giving you 3%, you only have to save 12%. And the reason I focus people on 15% so much is because there's another anchor point that too many people focus on, and that's the match level. Many people will look at their employer giving them 3% and say, oh, well, I'll contribute whatever it takes to get the 3%. Let's say it's six. Well, now you're only saving nine, and you want to be saving 15%, 15%, 15%. So One of the things to think about is how external influences are affecting the decisions we make. And I'm hoping to be one of those external influences and getting you to save 15%, including whatever match your employer might be giving you. Now, I also mentioned earlier on investing. So let me give you a statistic that may change how you think about investing over the long term, specifically for retirement. Since 1926, over every 15 calendar year period, large U.S. stocks have never had a negative return. Over 15 calendar year periods, every one of them for large U.S. stocks has had a positive return. Now, most people don't realize that because the noise of the short term often masks it and leads to emotions that drive behaviors that end up sabotaging what our long-term savings goals are. So if you're saving for retirement and you're 30, 40, 50, I'm even going to throw 60 years old in that because hopefully you're not spending all your money the day you retire. You hopefully will have a very long retirement of decades 
what happens over the short term pales in comparison to the long term. So recognize that very often we're affected by a recency bias. So what just happened in the last week or the last month or the last year? Well, if you're saving for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, that isn't as important as longer term kinds of things. So understand that over every 15 calendar year period, large U.S. stocks have never had a negative return. When it comes to investing, think about your goal and your goal's time horizon and make decisions based on that. The concept that you're talking about, Stuart, is so central to, to what we do when we work with clients. Talking about the most common mental illusions that we often see with our clients, loss aversion is one of them. Or put another way, just the the pain of when you're, you see red arrows as opposed to green arrows in your online account, or you, know, you see that you lost 5% over a, any short period of time. But I love that statistic. You're you know, over the, a 15-year period of time that large American companies have never had a negative return. The, the question is, you know, when, when I work with clients, why is it that if we know that, that over a 15-year period of time, large American companies have never lost, why is it that when we do see those recent downturns in the market that we, we panic, we get upset? And the answer is the psychology of it, the psychology of loss. Put another way, we feel the loss emotionally significantly more than we feel the gain of when we see those green arrows on our accounts or that we see that we made 5% on our accounts. I can't tell you how many clients that I've heard make bad decisions about pulling away from a strategy that has them do all of the things that we talk about in good investing strategies, being diversified, spreading your risk out amongst the different areas of the, the market, becoming more conservative over time as your time horizon shrinks. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen clients pull out of those strategies that are getting them where they're looking to go because of that psychological impact of the recent events in the markets. And ultimately what that ends up leading them to do is selling low and buying high versus what I think we all know that we're trying to achieve is buying low and selling high. That's so true. So how can we cultivate a positive mindset and overcome common psychological barriers to financial success, such as you've talked about the fear, procrastination perhaps, to work towards financial security? Stuart. Well, I've alluded to it a couple of times, and, and let me just say it. Admit that you're affected by these things. We all are. And the first step to addressing a problem is to admit that you have it. There's a scene from the movie Star Wars that I think illustrates this well. There's a scene where you have Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is the Jedi Master, taking Luke Skywalker, who's about to learn how to be a Jedi Master, uh, through a city, and they've got their two droids with them, C-3PO and R2-D2, and they're stopped by the Imperial Stormtroopers. And the Stormtroopers, who are looking for these particular droids, are asking about it. And the Jedi Master kind of waves his hand and says, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And then they're able to go on their way. And Luke Skywalker asks later on, I can't understand how we got past those troops. And the Jedi Master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, says, the Force can have a strong influence on the weak-minded. And when I ask people if they were somebody in that scene, who would they be? Most people say, oh, I'm the Jedi Master. And some people say, well, I'm Luke Skywalker. And every once in a while, I'll get somebody who says, well, I'm one of the droids. 
What I never have happen is someone say, well, I'm the weak-minded who's influenced by the force. But the reality is that everyone, you, me, everybody on this podcast, we all have emotions and biases. And the sooner we admit it, the better off we're going to be. Now, recognize that when we're asked, we almost always have a, quote, rational reason why we're doing something, don't we? We never say, I'm doing this because I'm scared or greedy or influenced by this experience from my childhood. But it's okay to recognize that we are driven by emotion. As Matt just said, we experience losses. It feels way worse than the good feeling we get from the gain. So recognize that's going to happen. And when you admit that you have the problem, now you can start taking steps to address it. So keep your behaviors aligned with your priorities. Separate the action from the emotion. Know that you're going to feel the emotion, but it doesn't mean you have to act on it. The other piece that I would add here is that setting your priorities and understanding them is critical when you're trying to achieve them, whether that's retirement, saving for education purposes, or travel, any of those things. Still, with many financial goals, knowing what they are and getting to them can be different things. So one of the things that I tell, honestly, everyone who will listen, is that knowing where you're going and planning to get there are two different things. And the way that you get to the goals that you know that you're trying to achieve is by doing the planning. I like to think of it like this. Financial planning is like GPS. So if I am, you know, currently sitting in Maryland and I am trying to drive to California, I'll set my GPS to where I'm going and then I'll get in the car and I'll start driving. But if I never look at my GPS, I'm not likely to make it to where I'm going in California. I'm going to look at my GPS regularly because any number of things can happen between now and 3,000 miles from now. There can be a, uh, an accident on the road or construction or an unexpected storm. So my GPS will route me around those things. Planning does much the same thing. There's any number of unexpected things that can happen in your financial life. That can be a market downturn. That can be regulation changes. That can be the loss of a job or a change in your um, personal situation. And so having a financial plan is great, but then checking on it at least annually is the way that you stay on track and you make sure that you can make those adjustments to go around those accidents so that you can make sure that you get to California or to retirement. Thank you for that, Matt, because it really highlights the value of good financial planning, which also happens to be one of the topics of one of our upcoming podcast episodes. So moving on, what are some effective ways then to set and achieve your retirement financial goals? Matt, why don't you kick us off on this one? So I think a big part of it is intellectual honesty and planning. Be honest with yourself about what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, many people, for example, talk about, you know, I like to get the, the points on my rewards card because that helps me save for travel. But if you don't have the discipline to make sure that you're paying that off every month, it's likely that the benefit that you get from those points isn't paying off for you. So just be honest with yourself. Am I capable of managing this style of investment strategy? When it comes to financial goals and planning, many of us, because of the things that we talked about earlier, stick our heads in the ground. And we just say, it's, I, I'm either never going to make it or it's not worth it or what will happen will happen. What I find is that many of the clients that we help, when they go through the planning process, good, bad, or indifferent, feel a sense of relief by knowing what the goals are and what actions they can take to achieve them. And that in and of itself helps them 
to achieve their goals because then it is attainable. Then they know what they need to do and it can help them prioritize those daily spending things. I like to quote Warren Miller in this scenario. So Warren Miller talks about it in the context of skiing. I'll talk about it in the context of planning. But when it comes to planning, if you don't do it this year, you'll only be one year older when you do. Yeah, Matt, I want to pick up on the point you made about being honest about what you're good at and what you're not good at. Because, Francisco, one of the ways to make sure you're staying on track is to automate the steps you need to take. So if you recognize, as many people do, I'm not going to always make good decisions about this, especially if I have to make the decision over and over and over again. Automate it. Automate your retirement saving. Figure out how much you need to contribute from the first job or from whatever job you're in right now to get to the 15% and have that taken out of your paycheck every month. Automate the investing. If there's a target date strategy, for example, that's designed to do the investing for you for retirement, take advantage of that instead of having to decide every month. What amount do I save? How am I going to change the investing? Automate it. Automate the savings for your other goals, like your child's college, your next car, your next vacation. The more you automate, the more you can separate your emotions from the actions, the better chance you have of keeping those actions on track. And when you're making an individual decision, take a minute to think about the why. What's driving the decision? Now, it's almost always an emotional decision. We are human. Just realize what that emotion is. It's often still a good decision, and that extra moment can help you affirm it, but sometimes it can also give you that couple of seconds to pause and say, well, wait a second. Why am I doing this? Does it really fit with the things that I want to get to? And sometimes we realize that we're addressing what we feel in the moment, and that can be counter to what we've decided we want to do in the longer term. Now, Francisco, you asked about managing stress and anxiety. Let me give you an example that happens to me all the time. I make the uh, suboptimal decision to manage the anxiety I'm feeling. I'm stuck in traffic. And the nice lady who lives in my smartphone says, I'm going to get to my destination fastest if I just stick with the traffic, get through it, and stay on the road I'm on. But what do I inevitably do? I get off at the next exit, even though I know it's going to make me take longer to get to my destination. And why do I do it? I always say the same thing. At least I'm moving. Now, there's a psychological reason behind that. Action reduces anxiety. So my anxiety comes down when I'm driving the car because I'm moving instead of stuck in traffic. So in the short term, whew, my anxiety came down. Now, when I arrive at my destination 30 minutes late, well, the consequences of that and then the anxiety I have to deal with at that point is way higher than the short-term reduction that I just felt. So recognize that that's something you're going to deal with as well. Don't do something in the short term, as Matt said, like I'm going to get out of the stock market because something happened in the last week. Focus on your goals, recognize you're going to have those emotions, but separate those emotions from the actions you're taking to make sure you're staying on track. Well, I like that. So, you know, be honest about what you're solving for, develop a plan that makes sense for you, that you can trust and put it on autopilot and let it do what it's supposed to do. I like that. That's it. Excellent. What about when it comes to making joint decisions, let's complicate it a little bit, which is so important when planning for retirement. What if you're not seeing eye to eye on retirement planning with someone else in your household? 
Matt, what are your thoughts on that? You know, this is such a common uh, conversation that we have with clients, and it's because we all handle money differently. Most clients that we deal with, I would say, try to plan together, understanding the importance of it. But many of the clients that we work with have kept all of their finances separate, sometimes for decades, and they're really comfortable in that. But when it comes to planning for your retirement, the question I always ask those couples is, if you're going to be retired together, when you get to retirement, if you two are planning separately, let's say one of you does a fantastic job, has a great nest egg, and the other one runs out of money early, are you going to kick them out? And if the answer is no, then you should probably be planning together to make sure that First of all, that your goals align and the way that you want to live your lives align, but also so that you can make sure that you can fund everybody's happiness and everybody's goals to make sure that you don't have that scenario when you're 75 years old of, honey, you ran out of money. I'm kicking you out. Oh, wow. I hope that's not me. Then you're probably uh, need to think about the planning aspects and making sure that you're planning together on the front end. Understanding the why of each person's behavior can be a big help. It could be why are you planning separately? Um, one of the things I ran into one time, I was talking to somebody and she and her husband had saved a, a, a fairly uh, substantial chunk of money and they were talking about using it to buy a house at the beach. And she was having a lot of anxiety about using the money for that. Almost as much anxiety as her husband was enthusiastic about doing it. So I asked her to go back and have a conversation with him and, and see if they could resolve the fact that they were approaching it from two different angles. And she came back a week later and said, well, it turns out this really wasn't about the house at the beach. It was about our kids' college. And I was like, all right, you're going to have to connect those dots for me because I have no idea what you're talking about. And she said, here's the conversation we had. I told him that I realized, because you had asked me to pause and think about the why of my anxiety, I realized that I was really thinking about that money as something we would use to pay for our kids' college education. Because when I was growing up, my parents paid for most of my college education. And that gave me the opportunity to experience a bunch of things. It taught me self-reliance. It made me who I am today. And I want to give that same opportunity to my kids. So I didn't want that money to go away. I wanted it to be used for college. And when I told that to my husband, he got a smile on his face. He said, well, when I was growing up, I had to pay for most of my own college education. And it gave me experiences I otherwise wouldn't have. It taught me self-reliance. It made me the person I am today. And I want to give that same opportunity to my kids. So we don't need that money to pay for their college. We can use it to buy the house at the beach. So here are two people who had different experiences in their childhood, which led to very positive outcomes for both of them, but led them to view this pot of money very differently. So think about the why of your behavior and ask the other person the why of their behavior. What's driving it? Is it fear? Is it greed? Is it fear of missing out on something? All of those things have an effect on the decisions people are making and how they're thinking about those decisions. Now, when it comes to retirement, one of the opportunities you have is to think prospectively, think ahead of time. 
as to the kinds of things you want to do in retirement and why you want to do them. And if you're interested in learning more, you might want to listen to our episode from season one called The Five W's of Retirement. That's who, what, where, when, and why. You get a chance to think about those questions related to your own retirement so you have the answer to the why and four other W's that can help you understand why you're feeling the emotions that you're feeling, how you're thinking about things, and do a better job of planning. Oh, thank you for that reminder, Stuart. Well, it's hard to believe, but it's time for us to start wrapping up the discussion. So let's leave our listeners with some parting thoughts or next steps to help them develop a healthier relationship with money. Matt, let's start with you. Would you share some brief takeaways? So for my key takeaway, I would say define what makes you happy and what your goals are. Once you've set them out, if the numbers don't make sense, then you can adjust. You can adjust your savings. You can adjust what your goals are. But at the end of the day, I think the most important thing about when you're planning for retirement or really anything is plan to be happy. If I had to say one thing, Francisco, it would be 15%, 15%, 15%. Now, I know that's a big number for a lot of people. So if you can't hit the 15% right away, that's understandable. Start with what you can and increase it over time. Put in a plan to increase it so it gets up to that 15%. And consider ways to automate your investments so you limit the extent to which emotions sway you. And once you've done this, as Matt alluded to, having a plan reduces anxiety. It will make you feel happier. And lastly, there's power in the pause. Give yourself a moment to think about things, to reset so that the emotions that you're feeling don't have an outsized influence on the behaviors that you have. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a terrific conversation. Thank you. Thank you. The psychology of money is a fascinating realm that influences our financial behavior in profound ways. By exploring our money mindset, understanding our emotional triggers, and prioritizing well-being in our financial choices, we can cultivate a healthier and more empowered relationship with money on our journey to and through retirement. Again, I'm Francisco Negron. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in for our next episode, which focuses on the trend of retirees going back to work, otherwise known as unretirement. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, it's not how you start, but how you finish. So be confident your tomorrow begins today. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you.
nor is it intended to serve as the primary basis for investment decision-making. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. Copyright 2023 T. Rowe Price. All rights reserved. T. Rowe Price. Invest with confidence. Retire with confidence. The Bighorn Sheep Design and Confident Conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated Distributor. T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated Investment Advisor.